0: Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. Glad to join y'all here today. Traffic is a little bit of a beast out there. You heard the traffic update just before the show started, and uh, I can personally attest that there's just a lot of cars out there. It wasn't even anything on my route that was uh, particularly nasty. It was just a whole lot of cars out there. But as it goes, everybody's working for the weekend. And the weekend is here. It is a happy, beautiful Friday afternoon, a little bit on the warm side, but that's okay because the sky is clear, nice little breeze going, and it just feels wonderful outside. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation. And I told y'all yesterday, I started the show with it yesterday. I told you the new COVID panic was back, the media hopping on board, and... Via national review, New York City indefinitely extends vaccine mandate for employers, school mask mandate for toddlers. That's right. With a subvariant BA2 of the Omicron variant out there, yes, we are seeing some panic to COVID-19 resurging once again here in the United States. New York City's private employer vaccine mandate. And the school mask mandate imposed on children five and under will remain in place indefinitely, the city's new health commissioner announced on Friday. I think it's indefinite at this point, Dr. Ashwin-Vassan said at a COVID-19 press briefing. People who have tried to predict what will happen in this future for the pandemic have repeatedly found egg on their face. As they say, I'm not going to do that here today. Yes, people who have predicted what would go on with this pandemic do have egg on their face. Unfortunately, It's people like Dr. Ashwin Vassan who have said that the coronavirus will absolutely 100% kill you if you do not wear a mask. And so they want toddlers to wear masks in schools. And I can tell you, no data out there supports this. I can tell you that. I will tell you that. I just did tell you that. But you don't need to know that. You don't need me to tell you that because you know it to be true as well. You know it as well as I do. There is no data that supports masking children. There's no data that really supports masking anywhere, but particularly children, because children are not as susceptible to this virus as adults. And even the Omicron variant, which saw more kids get infected, did not do anything serious. It is crazy. But New York is going to extend its mask mandate for toddlers in schools. And if the Democrats are wondering why they keep losing in poll after poll after poll, it is insanity like this. 232-1542 if you want to join in the conversation today. Now, let's move into some more precarious ground. Some more precarious ground. Leah Thomas. I do want to talk about Leah Thomas, who won an NCAA uh, championship, an NCAA medal in the Women's 500 at a uh, NCAA uh, national meet at Georgia Tech. Leah Thomas, up until last year, was a man. A full-grown, fully-developed biological male who has for the last year been on hormone suppressants, as is NCAA policy, in order to compete as a transgender athlete. You have to be on hormone suppressants for at least a year to compete as a transgender athlete, according to NCAA rules. Leah Thomas beat all the other women in in that race, I think is competing today and tomorrow as well. But a fully developed biological male with completely different biological, uh, physiological build beat women by several seconds. It, It wasn't even close by swim standards. And there are. A lot of activists, a lot of feminist groups that are particularly angry at this. Probably the most iconic picture that comes out of this is the winner's podium where you have uh, Thomas over on the side, holding the gold medal, and the three other uh, women who competed be the second place, the third place, and ostensibly the fourth place, Um all standing off to the side together, huddled up, getting their picture taken together, Thomas off to the side, isolated. Now, you, of course, interpret that picture different ways depending on your ideological uh, makeup, but what you are seeing in this picture are female swimmers, biological female swimmers, many of whom feel cheated standing off to the side celebrating their win while Leah Thomas is alone. Leah Thomas has an unfair physical advantage. There were protests. There were people shouting. There were hecklers. All of that was going on at this event. This also comes at a time when Florida has been dealing with, for weeks, all of this stuff about the so-called Don't Say Gay Bill, which is not a Don't Say Gay Bill, but that's what the media and the Democrats dubbed it. It was a it was a controversy that was largely manufactured by the Democrats and the media. The Florida bill simply says you will not introduce sexuality, sexual preference, and sexual identity into the curricula of kindergarten through third graders to f- from five-year-old to eight-year-old curriculum. And the Democrats and the media lost their minds over it. And what you've seen in both of these instances, from Leah Thomas to this bill, are people who are very much against it. The polling shows, the activism, the the, the critiques, all show the same thing. People are not as down with this cause as the Democrats and media want you to think they are. The Florida bill uh, polls very well Uh, Americans support that bill, and you have a lot of people who questioningly look at a fully developed male competing as a woman in this swim meet and winning a medal, and they're very wary of that. So what's next then? 232-1542 if you want to call in and uh, be part of the conversation when we get back. Let me finish that thought, then we'll go to the phone lines here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232 1542. If you want to join in the conversation, we've got some callers on the line. Give me just a minute because I want to finish the thought that I left off on in that last segment. You have Leah Thomas, the transgender swimmer who won a women's event despite being a biologically fully developed male with physical uh, with physical uh, advantages in competition. You have in Florida, a lot of people getting angry over the Parental Rights Act that passed, which says you cannot you cannot insert into the curriculum. That's the key. It didn't say you can't say gay. It didn't say you can't talk about it in the classroom, but for kindergarten through third grade, part you cannot have as part of the curriculum discussion on sexual identity, sexuality, things like that. They're too young for that content. What you're seeing on on both of these issues here, if you look at the polling, if you look at the reaction from the general American public, more and more people are growing concerned with how aggressively transgender activists are pushing these issues on the American public. Americans who are largely skeptical of the social changes that the trans movement is seeking. You have parents concerned that that level of activism in elementary school classrooms You have athletes and women's rights groups concerned with how it's upending women's sports. And I'm telling you, what's next will be middle and high school. What you see on a near constant basis, kids who are exposed on social media to all of these social movements, transgenderism, the LGBT movement, and things like that, and it's very hard for kids who are still developing emotionally, psychologically, to differentiate between actual identity, and mere social trend. More and more kids are seeing these social trends, literally trends, trending on social media, and they want to hop on. And for so many students, it actually doesn't stick. There are a lot of students who go through it as a phase, and then it just kind of turns off for them. And there's really no way of knowing if a student has a legitimate identity crisis that they're going through, or they're simply jumping on a social bandwagon. But it will all be treated as a very serious issues. Activists will force schools to allow greater acceptance, and that will lead to a major increase of social problems in schools. A lot of the students, particularly at younger ages, who claim these sexual identities don't understand the full social and legal consequence and medical consequence that goes along with it. They are not prepared. Schools are not prepared to handle it. We can see from the athletic issue, the NCAA wasn't really prepared to handle the issue. The pushback to this will be, well, we just need to accept it. It's, it's the new normal. We need to accept it. We need to be prepared to handle it. But the activism is pushing ahead of the actual physical capabilities that we have to handle it. You don't have clear procedures and resources available to enforce the reforms you need. You just have these quote-unquote civil rights mandates that are being forced on schools and systems with very little guidance on how to accommodate these students, and that itself is being misconstrued as a civil rights violation. Meanwhile, these kids are caught in the crossfire, and these athletes are caught in the crossfire. It is the new normal, but it's not one we're prepared for. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation, we've got Renee on the line. Renee, how are you?
1: Yeah, I mean... uh... The, one of the biggest crises is traditional role models. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have two ways of looking at it. American women, from wherever, whoever's default, have been indoctrinated to be toxic, feminist, radical feminists. Most of them. They have the power, they take care of the kids, they make sure what the kids watch, see, they, they motivate the kids. Or if they're absent, they, la- they, they neglect to. And they don't want to make sure the kids mixed with a variety of people to see how civilization will work. Now on the other hand, I see this as uh, how can I put it, there's social justice by a man and that's karma social justice. Unfortunately, anyhow we don't agree with it, the karma social justice of what these feminists, radical feminists done, is what we have now until money, education and status is lost by women for what they did by a man come taking opportunity of such a a, a good scam turned into a woman and win that kind of money, and you know how people are unscrupulous. But they found a good scam; they may not even be really like that. But they, hey, it's an open door. I'm gonna take it. The hell with
0: women—they're stupid enough to have that open door. I'm gonna take it. Yeah, and you know the it's it's funny, the the radical feminist idea is. It's kind of flipped on itself now. The radical feminist has led to this point, but at the same time, now you have what are called TERFs, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists. The radical feminists who are like, wait a minute, we did open this door. Now look what's happening. Men are taking the place of women in uh, traditional, in, in these women's roles, in athletics, in all these other uh, issues. It, it's it's crazy it, because women's it's history is- And social justice Pandora's box. It is. It really is a Pandora's box in that. Renee, thank you very much for the call. 232-1542 if you want to join in. But yeah, that's absolutely it. It is a Pandora's box. And now you have feminists who are jumping on this. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, is getting uh, just absolutely blasted by trans activists because of this. Because she believes that feminism focuses on actual biological women reaching up For that brass ring. And then you have the pro-trans groups who are saying, well, somebody who has transitioned to woman is just as equal. And in the case of athletics, that is simply not the case. A fully developed, physical, biological male, I'm sorry, has tons of physical differences and physical advantages over female athletes. 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. But part of this goes into something a little bit deeper. The media and the Democratic Party have latched on to this, but it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. Which group latched on to it first? It's a serious question. I I don't know which group latched on to it first. I think it's the Democratic Party, because the Democratic Party has has long been the... uh, The I want to say traditional, but it's kind of upending the traditional uh, values there. But but they've upended the traditional thing. They've been more accepting of the LGBT uh, LGBT stuff than the uh, Republicans have. I mean, traditionally, the whole family values argument and all that comes into it. I'm a little bit more of a squish on the issue than a lot of conservatives you'll find on talk radio, simply because... I kind of come from that generation where it was more prevalent. You, you you were exposed to a lot more of it. And frankly, a lot of my friends and a lot of the students that I've taught over the years have fallen into these categories. But you have the Democrats who have been so wildly accepting of all this and the media that has latched on to these stories. And it's become this very, very big echo chamber that they can't see out of. For reasons that are almost unexplainable, they've latched onto this, damn the consequences, damn what the American people actually think, what they're comfortable with, what they're ready for. They're pushing full steam ahead on this. That's like the environmental stuff, and, and they want to get rid of oil and drilling, yet we don't have the infrastructure to convert all of America to electric vehicles. We don't have the infrastructure to charge a bunch of electric vehicles. We don't have the infrastructure to run clean energy all the time. But they push ahead on these issues despite the fact that we are simply not ready. And that's not to say that maybe someday we won't be or that we shouldn't be. It's simply they're pushing so far ahead on this, they're alienating everybody else. There's a really good column. When we get back from this bottom of the hour break, I want to go into this. a really good column by Charles Cook at National Review. The Democrats are building themselves a suicide machine. A brilliant he's a brilliant writer but it's I need to go into this a little bit because it is so important to understand just how toxic the Democrats and the media are for each other 2321542 if you want to join in take part in this conversation you can also find me on social media if you go to Twitter you can go to Joe P. Cunningham there find me you can go to facebook.com/ Joe Cunningham show follow the show on there and if you've missed any part of the show so far, Go, out, go back and uh, check the podcast version on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to take this break, catch some bottom-of-the-hour news, and we'll be back here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation, take part in what we're talking about on this beautiful Friday afternoon, it is a very toxic relationship that the Democrats and the media share. They are each other's echo chambers. You know, Jake Tapper in an interview very famously said that, yeah, most journalists are of the left. Most of them just don't have the kinds of experiences that a lot of conservative news consumers have. Like Even so far as things like owning or shooting a gun, you know, Basics like that, those are the little things, the little barriers of entry, basically, into being more of a conservative person. But the media has gone, in the last five years, very, very, very far to the left and very, very far into the Democratic circles. For reasons that are almost entirely unknown, the press has spent the last five years adopting these race and gender essentialist ideologies. This is uh, in the words of Charles Cook at National Review. That pretty much everyone outside of those institutions absolutely loathes. And in its infinite wisdom, the Democratic Party has followed suit. The result has been the creation of a narrow, extremely peculiar feedback loop within which the institutional Democratic Party and its friends in the press have concocted and then adopted in a set of bizarro world ideas that are met with confusion and horror once they are released into the general population. It is from this weird bizarro world, as Cook calls it, that the Democrats have, and the media have thrown out terms like birthing people rather than saying mothers. Latinx, instead of Latino or Latina. BIPOC, which is... Uh, uh, black, indigenous, uh, and people of color, uh, cisgendered chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. And all of these terms have been widely rejected by the general public. The media latched on to this defund the police movement, the introduction to critical race theory in schools and an obsessive focus on January 6th. More on that in a minute. And that's all been attributed to the Democrats because the Democrats have pushed it and the media gave them tons of coverage. And now the Democrats are the face of it, even though they're trying to walk away from it. And then, of course, you have the Leah Thomas issue that really concerns a large chunk of Americans, but not the Democrats and not those in the media who are quick to say that you are transphobic if you have questions about this, if you are concerned about this. The Democratic Party, as a result of this little echo chamber that they've built with the media in this very toxic relationship between the two, they've now alienated large chunks of their voter base. And as I've been telling you for weeks now, the Democrats are set to lose big in November because of it, because they've run everybody else away. Couple that with their horrendous policies that have made absolute economic disaster in the United States. And you're starting to see the problem. The Democrats have made all of their own issues. Every problem the Democratic Party has right now is a direct result of their own egos feeding into that echo chamber, the media reflecting those views back to them, and they think it's all hunky-dory. Meanwhile, one of the key issues that the Democrats and the media have been pushing to no avail is January 6th, 2021. Now, from the moment I started this show, I told you that Americans simply don't care about this. There was internal polling ahead of the Virginia election. I know I've said this before. Internal polling of from both parties ahead of the Virginia election that Glenn Youngkin won. Both parties, their polling drew the same conclusion, that Americans wanted Congress to get to the bottom of of the January 6th insurrection attempt riot, whatever you want to call it. The conclusion the Democrats drew is that Americans really care about this. And they really, really, really want Congress to throw out indictments and really go after the Republicans on it. The conclusion the Republicans drew is that the people want Congress to get get it over with because they're starting to lose interest. If you're going to talk about it, get to a solution quickly. And the Democrats and the media have not been able to. And of all places, the Washington Post is covering this now. The House 6th January Committee has tried to recruit high-profile journalists to write its report about the attack on the Capitol, hoping to build a narrative thriller that compels audiences and is a departure from governor report, government reports of yore. Committee members and staffers are seeking to compile dramatic videos, texts, and emails in a digital format that is easy to understand and easy to share on social media. They want to put together blockbuster televised hearings that the public actually tunes into, according to people with knowledge of the process, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to speak candidly. Their challenge? Making the public care deeply and read hundreds of pages more about an event that happened more than a year ago and that many Americans feel they already understand. See, the Democrats have... A huge problem on their hands. The one issue that they think they can make into something that can keep their voters with them and keep moderates swinging toward them rather than going toward the Republicans is to show that the Republicans are an insidious group that are trying to overthrow the government. And most Americans saw what happened. They see it was a riot and they've moved on. People have been indicted. Trump is no longer in office. Trump never had a chance of getting back into office after that. There was no coup that could have brought him into power. And Americans have moved on. Democrats are expected to have a tough time because they have no issue to get voters to the poll for them. Their base will go out and vote, but the base is starting to get a little nervous now. The far left base really wants to see the Biden administration come through with more of its agenda, but they can't. Everything's stalled in Congress. I told you yesterday about the Politico story where you have progressive groups that are pushing the Biden administration to start doing a lot of these things by executive order. Knowing full well when the next Republican president comes in, and very well could be the case in 2024, would undo it all quickly. But that's the risk they're willing to take in order to get some issues through and keep the base latched on to the party at the same time you have members of the Democrats own party now out there openly saying leadership is going all in with the progressives and they're pushing us out. Stephanie Murphy, who's a uh, representative who has been there, I think for a couple terms represent democratic representative from Florida is now bowing out because leadership is all in with progressives and basically telling moderates to shut up and go with the plan. There's an interview, uh, In Politico, with that, it is a fascinating, fascinating look. Her party right now doesn't want a member like her, she believes. Centrist Democrats, once the ballyhooed beacon of the House Democratic majority, are now greatly out of fashion. And because of that, she worries her party may find itself in the minority. I'm going to go ahead and share this link on Facebook during the next break because I I want you guys to go and read that. Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham show this Politico playbook. Story A retiring moderate Democrat unloads in the party. She is leaving. She has no more cares to give. And she is going to say what the problem with her party is. And yes, it is absolutely the problem with her party. 232 1542. When we come back from the break, the Daylight Savings Time Bill. Did you know that some senators, even though it passed with unanimous consent, some senators are actually confused as to how it passed? We'll talk about that and more here on The Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL two three two fifteen forty two. 232-1542, if you want to call in. So last week, you know, the Senate, by unanimous consent, passed a Permanent Sunshine Act, which would set, uh, which would get rid of daylight savings time. Well, um, it would get rid of this changing the clocks and keep us in that daylight savings mode where we have the extra hour at the end of the day. Normally... And I'm, let me quote BuzzFeed here. Buzz. So BuzzFeed News is of the left, like most other media uh, outfits, but they do have some quality writers that do make some of the news reporting fun. And they've also done some really good reporting in the past. So the bill passed by unanimous consent, right? Well, via BuzzFeed, that is not how the Senate usually works. Passing a bill through the chamber is, by design, a long and painful process that usually results in shattered dreams and bitter failures. Typically, to pass a bill, you need to first clear it through a Senate committee, and then you need to ask the Senate Majority Leader to put it to a vote. They will tell you no because Senate floor time is in high demand and they are too busy confirming judges and keeping the government funded to spend hours on your bill. In the lucky event that your bill does move forward, you need to win over at least 60 of 100 senators, then go through hours of debate and multiple rounds of votes. Or you can ask for unanimous consent. With unanimous agreement, you can pretty much do anything. Any senator can go to the floor at any time and ask for unanimous consent to skip all the debate and the votes and just pass the bill immediately. If no one objects, it is done. But All it takes is a single senator to object and the bill is blocked. Senators ask for unanimous consent all the time, but it's usually just for show. The convention is that a senator will first hotline their bill, notifying every single senator of their plan. Those senators can place a hold on the bill, saying they refuse consent at that point point. If you push the bill forward to the Senate floor, you're likely doing it for the TV footage of you valiantly trying your best at being stymied by a mean colleague. What happened here is that Rubio, in his office, sent this bill to every senator. And in some cases, some of the other senator staffs didn't tell him it was going. So the staffers... Either because they wanted or just because it slipped their mind, didn't tell their boss. And so, guys like Tom Cotton, who apparently opposes it, were caught blindsided by the whole thing. Uh, other senators, it seems, were not told by their staff that the request was happening. Uh, Senator Chris Coons is one of them. Uh, let me see, where is this quote? Coons issued a series of shock stammers that is impossible to phonetically translate. That is in the BuzzFeed article. Um, <laughs> and uh, Republican Mike Braun, who began representing Indiana in the Senate in 2019, uh, and it, uh, let's see, since I've been here, I've asked the same question. Why couldn't you just do a sneak attack when nobody was looking? That's a courtesy of the Senate there where that doesn't happen. And so it's, it's just funny. So we, we have the potential of having permanent daylight savings time because a bunch of staffers in the Senate didn't tell their bosses, apparently, that this vote was going down. And so the bill passed with unanimous consent. It rarely, rarely happens. And when it does, it's just some quick gimme issue that makes people who vote, makes everybody look good. Sometimes it is kind of a universal thing. But most of the time you have to go through that painful Senate debate process on a bill. Uh, one person said by a Senate source to be pushing the House to do exactly, uh, to, to stall it, to block the legislation is Tom Cotton. Cotton's office is refusing to comment. So Tom Cotton does not want the permanent daylight savings time bill. There are some complaints from some senators that are actually kind of valid. That, well, if you do it like this, if you have permanent daylight savings time, you have kids who are going to school in the dark and that poses more danger to kids um, and, and potential for more traffic accidents and things like that. Y'all... I'm okay with the extra hour at the end of the day. I like the extra hour in the summer. I like it when we go on vacation. We have extra time during the day and the evening to enjoy wherever we are, the beach in particular. But I don't care really either way. Whichever one we get, let's just get rid of the time change. I just hate the time change twice a year. Let, let's make something permanent. So that is, uh, in case you were wondering what that was all about, it's going to the, it's going to the house We anticipate that somebody might actually try to block it. Let's see. What else did I want to? I had something else written down. Where's my notebook? Okay. So, Ketanji Jackson Brown. You know, Joe Biden has this Supreme Court pick. Ketanji Jackson Brown is going to be it. It's going to go before the Senate. Josh Hawley, uh, senator from Missouri. Is raising questions. Holly had several tweets out. Um, I'm very disappointed in Holly because he couldn't thread his tweets properly. So they're just kind of tweets scattered about the, the Twitterverse, but raising a very good question. There were some serious cases of child pornography that Jackson Brown was the judge for. And in sentencing, Ketanji Jackson Brown gave the offenders minimum sentence, sixty months, in these federal child pornography charges, um, that really deserved a whole lot more than sixty months. But it, it, it by people who are seeing these numbers and kind of looks like she's going easy on sex predators, child predators in particular. So he's raising these questions right now, and. Democrats and folks in the media are coming to Katanji Jackson Brown's defense saying, Well, you're not being very respectful. You're 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 trying to smear this woman's name. She's vastly qualified for the job, this, that, and the other. Uh Dick Durbin, I think it was, uh, lamented. Let me see, what where's the actual let me find this actual quote. Uh, I don't believe in it being taken. I don't I don't believe in it being taken seriously. Durbin said in an interview, I'm troubled by it because it's so outrageous. It really tests the committee as to whether we're going to be respectful in the way we treat this nominee. How many minutes, Mark? Three, two minutes left, two minutes left. And all I want to do is just shout. Because this is the same Dick Durbin who was all on board with his party trashing Brett Kavanaugh and calling him a sex offender and a rapist when the Democrats allowed all of these allegations to come out about about Brett Kavanaugh and raised all these questions. You want to talk about respect of a judicial nominee? Where was this respect for Kavanaugh during this time? You cannot say that you're really worried about uh, a, a judicial nominee being disrespected if you were all on board with trashing Kavanaugh and calling him a rapist, a sex offender, believing all the stuff that was said about him when you've got the, the porn lawyer, uh, Avenatti, who's now been convicted multiple times of his fraudulent behavior and you are welcoming him on your networks to raise more of these issues and throw these outrageous claims out there do not tell me for an instant that you are really all about the respect of the nominee when you're allowing these unproven claims to go forward in these hearings. But at the same time, a legitimate issue about how tough you're treating sex offenders in court gets brought up. That is outrageous. Not the claims as Dick Darbin says, but it's outrageous that you would dare to say that dare talk about the respect of a nominee When that was allowed to go forward and that issue is what made 2018 nowhere near as painful for Republicans as it probably should have been given how unpopular Trump was at the time with a lot of voters. The Republicans were saved in many races because of the treatment the Democrats gave Brett Kavanaugh. And that'll do it for me. It'll be a great weekend, guys. Go out and enjoy. We'll be back on Monday here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL.